0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Champions of Wellness podcast. The show for leaders focused on improving well-being in the workplace. Thank you for joining us as we discuss expert insights, evidence-based solutions, and actionable tactics to help you maximize employee mental health. Now, here's your host, PJ Hawkins. Hello and welcome to
1: the 30th episode of the Champions of Wellness podcast. I'm your host, PJ Calkins, and I am thrilled you're joining us today. Wherever you might be in the world, I hope you're well. Earlier in October, we hosted our annual Champions of Wellness Virtual Summit. This year's online conference was our most successful event yet, with over 3,100 healthcare leaders from nearly 50 countries around the world registering for the day-long event. Attendees heard from the top minds in wellness and leadership and saw sessions focused on sparking organizational change to maximize staff mental health. Featuring exclusive presentations from healthcare's top wellness experts, this impact event connected leaders from around the globe with a shared mission of prioritizing the mental health and wellness of our resilient medical workforce. Our goal every year with this summit is that the conference continues to act as a catalyst for cultural change and help spread tactics and strategies that other champions of wellness have found success in. For today's episode, we're going to listen to and discuss a few of the most impactful highlights from this year's Champions of Wellness Virtual Summit. But before
0: we jump right into
1: that, let's get a quick word from one of our sponsors.
0: We want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, the Wellbeing Index. Over 800 healthcare organizations around the world use the Wellbeing Index to measure and support the mental health of their staff. Invented and validated by Mayo Clinic, the Wellbeing Index is an online self-assessment tool that allows participants to anonymously measure their well-being in less than one minute, access customized resources, immediately compare their results to peers and national averages, and track their progress over time. The tool then provides organizational leadership with de-identified data to help them pinpoint the causes of distress, address the areas most in need of support, and track the effectiveness of their initiatives. The Wellbeing Index has undergone a rigorous validation process with multiple stages of peer review and has been used by leading healthcare institutions to help improve clinician quality of life, reduce turnover, maximize patient care, save vital resources, and protect the mental health of our medical professionals. To access case studies, validation articles, and even take a free demo of the Wellbeing Index, visit www.mywellbeingindex.org. Now, on with the episode.
1: For our first speaker highlight, we will be featuring our keynote, Dr. Colin West from Mayo Clinic. Dr. Colin West is a quantitative health sciences researcher whose work focuses primarily on physician well-being, evidence-based medicine and biostatistics, and medical education. Dr. West collaborates extensively with scientists and groups both outside and within Mayo Clinic. External collaborations include members of leadership in the American College of Physicians and the American Medical Association, among others. Results of research conducted by Dr. West and his team have been published in multiple top-tier journals, including The Lancet, the Journal of the American Medical Association Annals of Internal Medicine, and JAMA Internal Medicine. Dr. West presented on clinician well-being, From Burnout to Thriving in Modern Practice. Dr. West's presentation begins by discussing the pattern of medical students and how they start with lower levels of distress than that of their peers in other fields of study, but by the end of the second year of medical students, their burnout rates are higher additionally with worsened depressive symptoms and overall quality of life when compared to their other peers. This continues the rest of their medical training and practice. Let's take a listen to Dr. West on this topic.
2: When does all of this start? We used to often get the feedback that, well, you know, this is just about recruiting the wrong people into medicine. They're already damaged goods, and we need to change how we're bringing people into the profession. So it turns out that at the start of medical school, medical students actually have lower burnout levels and lower rates of depressive symptoms than their age-similar college graduate peers. So we are bringing in dedicated, passionate, bright people into the medical profession. But then something changes once they're in that learning environment at the start of medical school. And by the end of the second year of medical school, what we find is that burnout rates have now flipped so that they're higher than their age-similar college graduate peer group. Depressive symptoms have also flipped and not shown on the slide is that in every measured domain of quality of life that has now worsened relative to college graduate peers. So there's something about the interface between these dedicated, often perfectionistic medical students and the learning environments that we expose them to that contribute to distress. And then this continues through the rest of their medical training and on into practice.
1: Dr. West also shared valuable insights on how burnout has always been demonstrated to be higher among physicians in relation to the employed general U.S. population and that there's something unique about the physician role in relation to risk for burnout. The consequences of healthcare worker burnout is discussed and the costs related to physician burnout.
2: burnout even after adjusting for the increased work hours that physicians put in has always been demonstrated to be markedly higher among physicians than among the employed general US population. So there is something unique about the physician role and risk for burnout. Why does this matter? Well, it doesn't matter which stakeholder group you care about most across society. There is an adverse consequence to healthcare worker burnout. From a patient care standpoint, burnout and other aspects of distress have been associated with medical errors, impaired professionalism, reduced patient satisfaction, at least in the long term, and even issues of racial bias in interactions with patients and colleagues. In short, we're not our best selves when we're dealing with this wet blanket of distress which includes burnout. From a staffing standpoint, burnout's associated with staff turnover, job turnover, reduced clinical hours, and early retirement. This has deep personal impact, but also is not good for patients who need to be able to access the healthcare system and benefit from long-term relationships with healthcare professionals. There are impacts on learners in terms of medical knowledge, Uh, Burnout is associated with reduced medical knowledge, equivalent to the loss of an entire year of medical training. So medical knowledge growth is blunted. Mental health concerns are associated with burnout, including depressive symptoms and suicidal ideation, and even public safety issues like motor vehicle crashes and near misses. In total, just looking at physicians And just looking at the costs of job turnover, an economic analysis in partnership with the Harvard Business School estimated about $5 billion a year of costs related to burnout and physician turnover. When we add to this all of these other consequences of burnout and all of the other health professions that are similarly impacted, we have a massive drain on our healthcare system. It's bad business. It's bad care. So we need to turn this around and have well healthcare professionals who are able to bring their best selves to help patients the way they want to.
1: What an incredible presentation from world-renowned burnout researcher, Dr. Colin West. I've had the pleasure of seeing him in person speaking over the years, and it is nothing but top-notch every single time. Alright, we'll get into our next speaker here, but before we do that, we wanted to share a message from one of our valued sponsors.
0: Vital Work Life is a national behavioral health consulting practice supporting all dimensions of well-being. Vital WorkLife's goal is to empower organizations, employees, and their families to recognize and address challenges before they become unmanageable. We positively impact recruitment and retention, patient satisfaction, employee engagement, care team relationships, patient experience and safety, and your bottom line. Learn more at vitalworklife.com.
1: For our next speaker, we have Dr. Christy Corvo. Dr. Corvo is a pediatric intensive care physician at Children's National Hospital. Dr. Corvo's interests include medical education, faculty and organizational development, and well-being. She is the co-chair of the Clinician Well-Being Program at Children's National. At Children's National, Dr. Corvo, along with her co-chair, have been leading the medical staff effort for well-being since 2018. Dr. Corvo is an alum of Stanford Medical School's inaugural Chief Wellness Officer course, and she has published and spoken nationally on the topic of clinician well-being. At our event back in October, Dr. Corvo presented the definition of culture and how those within medical professions and the healthcare system should address culture and subcultures. Let's hear what she had to say.
3: Many of the focus of today's discussion will actually look at culture. And as many of you have heard, culture eats strategy for lunch. So culture is something that's truly, truly ingrained in in everything we do and just by a broad definition culture refers to the shared beliefs, the values and social practices of a group that are so widely accepted they're no longer scrutinized, they're no longer questioned. So think about healthcare, think about your individual profession whether it's nursing or medicine or social work or administration, think of the culture of of your profession and how it practices within the culture of a healthcare organization or a healthcare system. So we have organizational culture, the healthcare system or practice. We have our own professional cultures, doctor, nurse, social worker, respiratory therapist. But we also have subcultures, those unit-based cultures or practice-based cultures that may be a tad bit different Because of the group of people we're working with, the nature of the practice that we're doing, and the cultural norms of that group. And when cultures conflict, then people become misaligned or feel disenfranchised.
1: She also discusses wellness-centered leadership and the behaviors that fall under this style of leadership. A leader's level of self-care reflects onto the team they lead. She also refers to the Leadership Impact Index and how it's being utilized in relation to burnout and team fulfillment, which was incredibly insightful. Here is Dr. Corvo on this topic.
3: So what's wellness-centered leadership? It's an integrative model of leadership proposed by Shanafeld et al. uh, late last year. This model takes and looks at leadership behaviors, and leadership theories, and cultivates them into three behaviors that have been shown to promote engagement and professional fulfillment in those who follow these behaviors. And those three elements are care always about people, cultivate individual and team relationships, connection, and inspire change. So here's the wellness-centered leadership model. And at the base of the triangle, the foundation of the theory is care about people always. And while many of you would say, of course, that makes sense. Of course, you have to care for your team and you have to care how they do. How you care for people, what you do for people to show and demonstrate caring is truly what makes a difference. And then, of course, caring about people starts with yourself. Self-care is critical to how leaders are successful and how leaders care for themselves help to model the way for others to follow. Self-care is critical to optimal performance. Self-valuation, how I think about myself and take care of myself, as well as how I learn from mistakes or bad things that happen, if I develop and model a positive growth mindset, my leadership skills and my ability to affect change on my team will be optimized. Of course, proper exercise, nutrition, breaks from work, such as vacations, and sleep, as simple as that sound, is very hard to do. And I know many of you as leaders have often felt, I can't rest or I can't leave the situation. They need me. But trust me, the data does support. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be an effective leader to help your people. And we know this because the literature has shown that a leader's level of burnout or professional fulfillment and self-valuation predicts independently their leadership behavior score. So if you're a leader who takes care of themselves and practices what they preach, you will be a a better leader on an independent leadership assessment scale. So what's the impact of leadership on the team performance and fulfillment? Swenson and all at the Mayo developed a leadership assessment tool or leadership index, looking at behaviors of leaders Not in the C-suite and not assessed by the whole organization, but by leaders being assessed by their direct reports. So the people that report directly to them as leaders have the opportunity to evaluate leadership behaviors. And those leadership behaviors are associated with the fulfillment of the team members in fact, for every one point increase in a leader's score using this survey, there was a 3.5% decrease in burnout of the team members. And more importantly, a 9.1% increase in physician satisfaction. That's amazing. This is data that has been repeated, repeatedly demonstrating the impact of a leaderships or a leader's behavior on their team's well-being. So what questions are asked in this survey? It's a Likert scale, one to five, and there are questions here that I've noted below that is assessed on that survey. And, And if you look at the broad strokes of these, respect, inspiration, encourage, seeks my input, listens to my input. Gives gratitude and recognition, keeps me informed of changes, lets me do my work and gives me the tools I need to do it, and truly cares about my own personal goals and my own development. In fact, if a person is allowed to do up to 20% of their time, the thing that drives them, the things they feel passionate about, that helps them be more fulfilled professionally as well. So this is a very important uh, assessment tool and one that speaks to the heart of wellness-centered leadership.
1: Finally, Dr. Corvo highlights different leadership approaches, including the pebbles in the shoe approach and how to remove the obstacles keeping team members from their goals and overall fulfillment, therefore providing alignment and support within the team
3: pebbles in the shoe so this was coined by swanson and shanna um to talk about what are those things that get in, in that are in your shoe that just annoy you and prevent you from doing the work you know you need to do that get in the way either of you being successful or you being fulfilled or just you being inefficient whatever it looks like those pebbles in the shoe not boulders now We're not talking about things whole organization-wide, but those things that are in the locus of control within your team, within your group, that if you could remove, would they improve the level of frustration and increase the level of engagement? But in order to have this conversation as a leader, you need to establish a trusting environment you need to establish a partnership between you and your healthcare team that you're going to talk to about. And you need to contract with them that you will do your best to, to help them, help themselves with these issues. So you're gonna ask them, you're gonna ask them, hey, what, what gets in your way? How come people aren't coming into work? How do you think we could do this better? You're gonna ask them those questions. Most importantly, you're going to listen to the answers and you're going to listen to the suggestions they have. But who else to ask but those people right there on the front line actually doing the work? And once a decision is made as to which way you're going to go, you're going to empower your team to make that decision first of all, to make the decision about which which problem to tackle first. You're going to empower them, both with resources and with uh, leadership, to try to fix the issue. And when you regroup and you find their success, you're one going to reward it and praise it and show gratitude. But then you're going to say, "What's next?" So this is a way to ask the people who are actually in the work, doing the work. What's in their way and how do they possibly think they can make it better? And by doing that, you create that alignment. You create that, that area and so of support where people feel valued. And people who feel valued are fulfilled and they want to come and keep doing great work. So the pebbles in the shoe approach is very effective. It's a bit time consuming, but it's very rewarding.
1: For our next speaker, we have John McMahon. As director of client experience and a product specialist for the Wellbeing Index, John McMahon has personally worked with hundreds of healthcare organizations to launch the Wellbeing Index to hundreds of thousands of healthcare professionals. His expertise in healthcare, employee well-being, and wellness programming implementation has provided teams with the data and resources needed to go beyond burnout. And foster a workplace culture of well-being. At last year's virtual summit, John joined us and discussed survey implementation and shared aggregate data gathered from the well-being index, and gave us an in-depth look at the burnout crisis impacting medical staff and possible causes and solutions. This year, John shared his expertise regarding building trust within healthcare organizations, along with the highlights shared here today. You can listen to all of his insights and full presentations in the video library in your Champions of Wellness account. If you do not have a Champions of Wellness account, you can join it at www.championsofwellness.com. John began his presentation at this year's event with what trust and distrust look like within a healthcare organization and its effects on its team. He refers to Dr. Schennefeld's concept of Physician Well-Being 2.0 to discuss different levels of distrust and an individual's response to distrust.
4: Before we get into the details, we need to know what trust looks like, specifically in a healthcare setting. As Michael C. Bush, CEO of Great Place to Work said, the root of the tree is trust. It's the foundation of a successful, thriving workplace where providers and patients alike can flourish. It's difficult to trust when you feel a lack of respect. This can manifest in numerous ways, from little things like using colleagues' names and appropriate titles to the larger challenges being addressed by many organizations' diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. However, you address these challenges, respect must be present in order to build that trust. As our work with our clients and the understanding of well-being within the workplace has changed, so have our approaches to creating a culture of wellness. One of the most prominent changes I have experienced is the move from a focus on individual professions, for example, the physician wellness team or the nurse wellness team, to a more holistic approach, focusing on all professions within departments. Healthcare teams rely on all members working together to provide the best outcomes for their patients. And each other. If one part of the team is suffering, it affects everyone. Healthcare is tough with the joys of saving a life or seeing a patient who is struggling doing better, balanced by the sorrows of consoling families who've lost a loved one or working with a patient who is particularly angry or upset. It takes the whole team working together and supporting each other to be successful. You need teams that trust and support each other rather than those who are divided or pointing fingers. In fact, a 2021 study by Dr. Aaron Sullivan and colleagues found that while the primary driver of addressing administrative waste and efficiency was initially chosen by many teams as the nexus of a quality improvement project, the teams most successful in reducing burnout were those that coupled the efficiency driver with the strengthening team driver. Building that support within teams is as important as the more obvious challenges like too much administrative work or overtime. And trust is a critical component of creating those effective teams. As former U.S. Secretary of Labor Robert Reich uh, developed, he has a pronoun test, and it's a quick barometer of trust and performance in teams. Those who use we and us rather than they and them when referring to their organization and team had higher levels of trust and better overall performance. So it's a really simple way that you can think about or look at what's the trust level with our team? How are we doing? Listen for those we and us pronouns. And let's make one thing very clear. Leadership does not mean micromanagement. Study after study shows that great leaders are those that act with integrity, treat their teams with respect, and trust their teams with uh, the, uh, to perform with excellence. Providing your professionals with control and flexibility over their work while providing the guide rails to ensure consistency and adherence to organizational goals and values is a key. A study published by Dr. Donald Freeborn in 2001 showed that perceived control over the practice environment was also the single most important predictor of physician burnout. In a 2009 study by Dr. Tate Schanifelt and colleagues, found that the physicians who spent at least 20% of their time on work they found the most personally meaningful had burnout rates half that of those who spent less than 20% of their time in those areas most meaningful to them. So trusting your providers to perform their duties and giving them the ability to focus on the areas they find most meaningful can help reduce burnout, increase satisfaction, and have a positive impact on patient outcomes. So now that we know what we're aiming for, I want to look at some of the common challenges found in many healthcare settings. We have two focuses here. First is something that Dr. Shanafelt has been speaking about more and more recently with his concept of physician well-being 2.0: the systemic challenges leading to burnout and distress. It's time to move beyond only trying to address individual well-being and begin looking at organizational challenges that contribute to a lack of trust. Increase in burnout and lead to a whole host of advanced or adverse outcomes. The second is on the word distrust. Mistrust and distrust are often used interchangeably, but we're specifically using distrust because it can express a lack of trust stemming from a specific experience or certain knowledge. In other words, lack of trust in healthcare organizations is often caused by specific actions or inactions, whether the intent is to sow distrust or not. So what are some common causes of distrust? As Dr. Shanafelt and Dr. Steven Swenson wrote in their book, Male Clinic Strategies to Reduce Burnout, excessive metrics are a manifestation of lack of trust. Think of all the various measurements present in healthcare today, from patient satisfaction scores, to minutes per visit, to the speed of clearing inbox messages, Some are necessary, but many serve no purpose other than micromanaging your providers. Many of our clients ask their providers, what are the two things that make your work most difficult? And one of the most common responses is feeling overloaded by the administrative duties and required activities tied to metrics that take time away from directly working with patients, which consequently is also one of the top things that most providers say when asked what are one of the things that makes your work most meaningful, is that time with patience. So feeling that every part of your job is dictated and measured, and that you have no agency to use your training and experience to address patient needs has been shown in multiple studies as a primary driver of burnout and distress. Leadership and management expert Brian Tracy has often said that trust is based on integrity. And one of the leading causes of distrust as well as moral injury, distress, and other adverse outcomes, occurs when the values of an organization are not manifested in the policies, procedures, or actions of those within the group. So this can happen at any level, from leadership failing to exemplify core values to decisions made regarding the care of a patient that may negatively impact relationships between those on the care team. One of the most common examples of this that we see is feeling like the organization is prioritizing numbers over people. So, whether it's statements like, I'd like leadership to be more concerned with our patients and providers than the amount of money coming in, or don't they realize we're people and we're at a breaking point? We can't keep doing more with less. With well being index, we hear the actions and the responses of people that show that the organization don't always have their actions match up with their stated values. And it tarnishes perceptions of integrity and feelings of trust. And there are many changes facing healthcare uh, and providers and organizations. Uh, You have staffing challenges. You have challenges now that are about ensuring stocks of basic supplies. Uh, But it's important that leadership recognizes any shortcomings and addresses them, even if it's just acknowledging the issue and providing an example of how they are attempting to address it. Failure to do this causes professionals to feel unsupported by the organization and leads to resentment and distrust. So this also affects individuals at a team level. A survey by the Learning Nurse Resource Network showed that poor teamwork, including poor communication, tension and conflict, no cooperation, and unwillingness to help, was the top driver of stress among nurses,
1: John states that gaining trust and creating a line of open communication within an organization is the first step in creating a culture of wellness. And that begins with achieving transparency.
4: How do we create that trusting environment that is such a key to creating the culture of wellness? It starts with transparency and communication. Transparent communication is one of the most effective ways to build trust within teams and organizations. It encourages honesty and openness and helps teams feel comfortable addressing any challenges that arise right away, rather than letting them sit unattended until they boil over. Clear communication is critical. Designing policies and procedures to encourage open communication is a start you'll likely need to utilize multiple avenues to ensure that communication is being heard. But one of the most effective means we've seen is direct face-to-face communications. Oh, and I'd also be remiss if I didn't point out, communication from leadership to your teams is important, but perhaps even more so is ensuring open lines of communication from your providers back to leadership. As Dr. Shanafelt and colleagues published uh, a look at what healthcare professionals were seeking from their organizations during the COVID-19 pandemic, one of their key takeaways was hear me, or the desire for organizations to listen to and act on the expert perspective and frontline experience of their providers. This includes addressing their concerns to the extent that organizations and leaders are able. Even if you can't address something right away, it's still important to acknowledge it and maybe explain why it can't be addressed right that minute or maybe in the way that somebody's looking for. And transparency doesn't work without honesty and empathy. Honesty is implicit in the idea of transparent communication. But as the actor Mae West said, it's not what you say, but how you say it. Empathy is a key trait for any healthcare professional. You have to be able to connect with your patients and their families, put yourself in their shoes and fully understand their needs and the proper way to care for them. This is no less true when it comes to relationships with your colleagues or the organization's relationship with their providers. Organizations need to provide continued training on empathy and encourage respectful, honest communication between professionals. Expectations, how they are tracked, and any consequences of not meeting them should be clearly stated and understood by all. Processes need to be in place to encourage and facilitate open, honest communication. This takes work and is not necessarily easy to implement. But once you develop a culture where colleagues can openly and honestly share challenges or disagreements in a respectful and empathetic manner, you'll have teams that trust each other and the organization. Providers often know what they need or understand how to solve many of their day-to-day challenges. So top-down decisions and solutions, while well-intentioned, are often met with responses of, that's nice, but it doesn't solve anything, from the professionals who are the intended beneficiaries. Empowering teams to address the challenges facing them and providing clear lines of communication to leadership who can help with issues that are beyond their scope to fix goes a long way in building trust along with the benefits of increased efficiency and professional satisfaction. As Dr. Lottie Derby, co-creator of the Wellbeing Index, likes to say, nothing about me without me. When you put it all together to have an open two-way communication, consistency of messaging, matching up with action, and ensuring that your teams are included in the solutions, you're well on your way to building trust across the organization. So here are some strategies to promote transparent communication in your organization. The first key to achieving transparency within your organization is ensuring the leadership structure, roles, and responsibilities are clearly defined and understood by all. This goes for every layer in your organization and will vary to fit specifics within your groups. It's not practical for a large multi-hospital health system to have every individual provider know the roles and responsibilities for every individual in the organization. However, they do need to know who on their team is leading their quality improvement, or wellness efforts, and how, many idea, and how any ideas should be communicated. It's very difficult to address a challenge or share a great idea when you don't know who to turn to or what the process is for doing so. Likewise, those leaders need to know who is in charge of these efforts at the next level of the organization, and so on, up to the highest levels of leadership, so that any challenges or issues that uh, come up can be addressed by the appropriate teams. If you've done any study or work in personal and professional development, you've probably heard some form of you are what you emphasize or you get what you focus on. Transparency is no different. If you want to achieve transparency within your organization, you need to hold it as a guiding principle when reviewing your policies and procedures. And you need to help train every person in your organization on empathy to ensure that your efforts are effective and moving your organization in the right direction. Building transparency within an organization requires looking at all facets of how you operate on a day-to-day basis. We all know that change is difficult, so any opportunity to tweak or update an existing policy or procedure to increase transparency is a great way to start. You may find that it's necessary to create new policies or ways of doing things, and that's okay too. The key, once again here, is to include your providers from the start and look at what your departments have the ability to change themselves to create increased transparency, honesty, and empathy among their teams. What's great for organizational leaders is that you can have each team or department start addressing their needs individually while adjusting the overall flow within the organization to increase transparency and communication as that work is being done. Often, the challenges that a single team cannot address will be similar to what other teams are also experiencing. And those can then be addressed for all further up the ladder. This work all takes commitment and an investment from across the organization, but the results can be transformative. In research published by Great Place to Work in 2016, healthcare organizations with the highest levels of trust reported almost 50% higher job growth compared to those with the lowest levels of trust, as well as a turnover rate that was about half the rate of the industry average. So there's a case study on our site uh, looking at the wellness efforts from one of our clients, a regional health group. Their response to COVID-19 pandemic uh, exemplifies the positive impact that open, transparent communication can have on healthcare workforce. At the outset of the pandemic, the CMO and CWO of this organization, Chief Medical Officer and Chief Wellness Officer, uh, they began holding weekly town hall meetings open to all employees within their organization. At these meetings, they would give updates on patient load, positivity rates, PPE levels, and the latest information regarding what they knew about the virus. You have to remember, this is at a time when people were unsure exactly how this was being spread and what the best treatments were. You know, do I have to leave my package out in my garage for a week? You know, all of those things. So they also then answered questions from those attending the meetings. They answered honestly, and if they didn't have or couldn't answer, they would either find the answer or explain why they could not answer. And while those responses may not always have been the most satisfying, they were absolutely appreciated by those in attendance. The response to these meetings was immediate and overwhelmingly positive. Professionals expressed their gratitude that these busy individuals were taking time to hold these conversations each week, and they shared how they felt the organization truly cared about them by hearing their questions and concerns. And while they don't hold these meetings on a weekly basis any longer, they are planning to continue them either on a monthly or quarterly basis. And the organization is committed to improving the well-being of their providers through creating a culture of wellness. They actually recently received national recognition for these efforts, and transparency plays a key role in their success.
1: What incredible insights and expertise from John McMahon. Truly a pleasure to have him a part of our last two years' events. Uh, Before we get into our final speaker, another quick word from a
0: valued sponsor. Humans are wired for relationships. Our well-being depends on it. Third Conversation brings the people in healthcare patients, clinicians, and administrators together to recognize all that we share in common, to acknowledge our shared humanity, to create human connection and mutual empathy, preventing burnout, improving the patient experience, instilling job satisfaction, and inspiring all to action. Ready to create a thriving organization that works for everyone in the healthcare system? Learn more at thirdconversation.org. For our final speaker,
1: we have Dr. Michael Zagoda, a faculty physician and department chairman with Dignity Health Medical Group Internal Medicine. He is also the academic chairman at Creighton University School of Medicine in Phoenix. Dr. Zagoda is board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary medicine, critical care, and sleep medicine. With a myriad of research, published work, and inventions, Dr. Zagoda spent years discovering and documenting new, innovative ways to treat patients' most advanced pulmonology, critical care, and sleep disorder care needs. Over those years, he was awarded many times for his diligent work to nourish the industry, nurture patient experience, and advance academic medicine. We were incredibly honored to have Dr. Zagoda present on evidence-based wellness program saves money, cares, and lives. Dr. Zagoda reflected on the cost of physician burnout and the return on investment for addressing a department's burnout. Take a listen to perhaps one of the most impactful portions shared during our 2022 summit.
5: So according to the American Medical Association, they actually put together a calculator that has been Um, validated to look at what is the actual cost of physician burnout for an organization. So by going in and plugging in the numbers, the numbers I'm showing you now were the numbers that actually came up. These are screenshots of my first sitting down and plugging in these numbers. So out of 83 physicians, we had a 57% burnout with 13% turnover, as I already showed you. Now, when we look at this, looking at all the salaries from my GI doctors all the way down to... My primary care physicians, which of course have a different salary structure, it averages to about $475,000 as the cost of turnover in our organization per physician. Now, out of the 13% turnover, I was able to get four of those physicians to come clean and say they specifically are leaving medicine because they were, quote, burned out. Now, we're going to be using the term burned out a lot, and I'm going to show you that that's probably not the best term. There's, there's a better way to describe it, but for these contexts and purposes, we'll keep it simple, call it burnout. So I had four per year, four per year that I was seeing in my very first year of coming on board here. As such, that totals out to a beat about $1.9 million per year. So, we decided to go ahead and put together an actual wellness, uh, personal and professional fulfillment program. Again, utilizing the Stanford model to begin with, and then we branched out from there to help me do so. I went in search of an organizational psychologist, and we became the first department of internal medicine with all of Common Spirit Health, which whom I work, to hire our own organizational psychologist. Um, This cost us approximately one hundred twenty thousand per year. Um, And at the time, we were looking at a projected reduction in burnout of 20%. And I'll show you some real numbers about how this played out and if this was a good return on investment. So again, four physicians per year at $1.9 million per year. Estimated savings from the burnout intervention, it was about 8.28% turnover without burnout. So I lost 8% of my physicians turnover without burnout burnout That was their claim. So if I could reduce this, the estimated savings due to our reduced burnout would be about $372,000. And if you look at how much it's costing me at $120,000 per year with the utilization of our organizational psychologist and program rollout, that was going to be about a 210% return on investment per year. These are actual numbers. These are the real numbers that we were experiencing. So let's go ahead and narrow this down a little bit to the highest risk group for, quote, burnout. And in my institution was with the intensivists. Our intensivists were overwhelmed. They were very understaffed. We had just opened up a brand new um, ICU, doubling the number of beds we had in our institution. Um, We had to bring in a lot lot of travel nurses, as many of you also had to do, um, to help us just meet the needs of the population. And so we had 11 physicians at the time covering about 80 ICU beds, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, with this, through the pandemic, where we actually were having patients doubled up and our average census for these physicians was between 25 to 28 um, patients per day, we were seeing about an 88% burnout. As such, I started to see some significant turnover at about 18% turnover. And the American Medical Association says that to replace a lost intensivist, it costs about $975,000 per physician. So, 18% of 11 is a little over one physician, um, almost two physicians per year. So, as such, if I just am very conservative and just say, okay, one physician per year, is going to cost me about nine hundred and three thousand dollars, all things considered, to replace that one physician. Very expensive to replace an intensivist, which, of course, as I already mentioned, is the has the highest vulnerability. Now, the cost to prevent those burnout interventions within our organization, specifically for intensivists, was about seventy-five thousand dollars a year. With we were hoping for a sixty percent reduction in our burnout. So all in all, what we ended up seeing was about a 622% per year return on our investment. So we just poured in about $75,000 and of which we were able to save um, $900,000. Excellent, excellent return on one's investment. So in summary, the overall return of investment for bringing in an organizational psychologist just for the department of medicine. This is not for the entire medical group. This was not for the hospital system at large. This was just simply for one department of internal medicine. We saved about $2 million in our first year just doing this. This is by utilizing a organizational psychologist for less than 10 hours per week or about 400 hours per year in direct physician and staff interactions.
1: Wow. Dr. Zagoda saw a $2 million savings in their first year and an over 600% return on investment. It's hard to argue with numbers and data like that, and it sure does convey the importance and financial impact of healthcare professional burnout. That concludes today's episode. Thank you for joining us. If you are unable to attend the live event and want to hear more from these excellent speakers, the majority of session recordings will be available in the Champions of Wellness video library. Just head on over to championsofwellness.com and create an account to get on-demand access to all previous virtual summits and 2022 sessions, plus other exclusive wellness content designed for leaders.